Let us pray. Gracious God, who loves us more than we can ask for or imagine, send your Holy Spirit to dwell here with us, so that only your word may be spoken, and so that only your word may be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Jonah. It is a very small book, seemingly insignificant book, one of the shortest books in the Bible. And yet, it is important. I mean, Jesus even references it in order to try and help make sense of the resurrection. What is it that Father uh, Mapple says in Moby Dick? He says something like, it's, uh, uh, it's one of the shortest strands in the great cable of Scripture. But then he goes on to say what a significantly important strand it is as he gives a sermon on the spiritual richness and depth of Jonah. The problem with Father Mapple's sermon, though, is he stops after chapter 2, after the great scene in the belly of the whale, the belly of the fish, um, which makes sense in this Moby Dick. Um, but the problem is that he's not, um, he's not alone in doing that. Most people kind of stop after chapter 2. Now, the first two chapters are important. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said to him, get up and go to Nineveh and cry out over it because their evil's risen up to me. And so Jonah gets up and he goes in the opposite direction, um, tries to go to a place called Tarshish. And he uh, gets on a boat and then he goes down into the belly of the boat and they set out to sea and there's this great storm and ultimately the sailors throw him overboard and God sends this great big fish um, to swallow him up and to save him. And from that belly of the whale, uh, Jonah cries out to God and Jonah offers a prayer of thanksgiving for saving him. And this is, uh, of course, an important part of the story, but it's only half the story. As we heard in that first reading today, the story continues in chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and says the exact same thing, go to Nineveh, and this time he goes to Nineveh and he cries out over it. He says, in 40 days, this city will be overturned. And the remarkable thing is that people believe him. And they recognize that they have been doing something wrong. I think they knew they already were doing it, which is why it's so easy for them to uh, recognize this when Jonah says it. Um, and they repent. And the, the lectionary leaves out this little funny bit where the word gets to the king and the king issues this decree to a people who are already in sackcloth and ashes, already repenting. Uh, he tells them all to do it. Um, and he says, um, all the people from the greatest to the least um, and all the animals. See, this really funny scene, a really funny image of all the people, um, the oldest, the youngest, and all the cattle, right, all in their sackcloth and their ashes, fasting and repenting for uh, what they've done wrong. And um, as the story says, the people of Nineveh stopped doing the evil thing. So they repent and they relent from this evil. And then it says, so therefore, God did not bring the calamity upon them. Now, in, in Hebrew, though, the word calamity here is the same word as the evil. Um, so the people stop doing evil and God doesn't do evil in response. Instead, God forgives them for what they've done and gives them another chance. It is a profound and beautiful image of grace. But then the story's not over there. 
It continues on. It says that this now was evil to Jonah. So you get this image here. The people have let go of their evil, and God lets go of God's evil, and Jonah looks at it and says, that looks nice to me, and he puts it on like a cloak, and he stomps out of town, bitter and angry that they didn't get their comeuppance. It's interesting because what he cried out over them is that Nineveh be overturned. And what you see here is he took that to mean they would be destroyed. But it's more like now what we see, that the overturning wasn't going to be the city destroyed kind of overturning, but it was an overturning of their hearts. And Jonah can't abide by this. And so then you have this whole uh, scene where Jonah is kind of being grumpy and stomping. He's like a, this kind of upset toddler. And God has this whole object lesson with a bush and a worm. And then the whole story ends with this question. Shouldn't I care about these people that I made? And also their animals. Now this is... A rhetorical question? The answer is, of course, God should, though it's, it's interesting we don't get any response from Jonah. It's just how the story ends. It's like, it's this open-ended question. How is Jonah going to respond? And ultimately, how are we going to respond as well? Now, we hear this story today because the theme of the day is call. So we have in that uh, collect for today, um, give us grace, O Lord, to readily answer your call. And we hear in the gospel today, the beautiful story of the calling of the disciples. And so here we have a story of Jonah's call. Of course, we get just one little snippet of it, that second call to go to Nineveh. But I think when we step back and we look at the Jonah story in its fullness, in its short fullness, granted it's only four chapters, if we look at it in its fullness, we see the call isn't limited just to going to Nineveh. But the call in the story of Jonah is the call to love. Because we follow Jonah's trajectory, we see is an invitation to him to love those that he doesn't want to love. He doesn't go Nineveh in the first place because they are his enemies. And he's upset at God that God would be willing to forgive them because they are his enemies. And what God is saying, what God is doing is God's inviting him to love them. But we also see that call to love in God's response to Jonah because the story is a profound story of God's love for Jonah, a love that's willing to call him in the first place. A love that's willing to follow him out to sea and bring him back to save him when he ignores God. This call to, this love, call of love um, that God has in St. Jonah's second time. And then the love that God has for Jonah in continuing to work with Jonah after he's all uh, kind of being obstinate and grumpy out there waiting for God to destroy the city. Right? There is this profound love that God has for Jonah that keeps pursuing him when Jonah isn't doing what God wants. It's actually really similar to that psalm we had last week, Psalm 139, 
That beautiful psalm about wherever I go, you are there, O Lord. If I go to the heavens or I go to the grave, you are there. If I go out, uh, if I take the wings of the morning or go out to the uttermost parts of the sea, like Jonah, you are there. This is a profound poem that we heard last week of God's love for us. And it's the same love we see in the Jonah story continuing to pursue him. And so we have this love that God calls Jonah to try to exhibit. And this love that God has for Jonah. And we see the God that love has for the Ninevites in um, letting them know what they're doing is wrong, calling them to account, inviting them to repent, and offering them grace. It is the profound love that God has for all of creation. And it is that call of love, that call made to Jonah, that call made to people of Nineveh to stop doing their evil and to love. It is that same call of love that God calls to us, to you and to me. God invites us into that love. That love of neighbor, that love of enemy, that love of self. God calls us to that love. And however we respond, if we go in the exact opposite direction, or we try and we get grumpy about it, God is still going to be with us, inviting us in, asking us the question, are we going to love? And shouldn't I love them as well? call of love. And so, my friends in Christ, heed this call to love and walk in love. Amen.